Excited about what we get to talk about this morning as we continue on through the Sermon on the Mount. And as we walk through, if, if you're unfamiliar, the Sermon on the Mount is a passage in the Gospel of Matthew, chapters 5, 6, and 7. And it's Jesus' biggest, longest, most famous sermon that we have recorded. And in this sermon, he really lays out passage after passage. What we encounter is Jesus telling us what life will look like if he's the king. And one of the challenges that we encounter with each passage is that there are areas that Jesus pronounces himself to be king over that we might want to keep to ourselves. There are different areas of our lives that we might consider to be private, to say that's my business, it's nobody else's business, what I do in that area. And one of the areas that we tend to feel most strongly about that is in the area of money. Now, for for example, um, most of us, if not all of us here, even if you own your own business now, um, you've worked before. You've worked for a boss before. You know what it's like to have a job and to have somebody in charge of those different things, to say, this is when you need to show up and you can't leave until this time. And this is where you need to sit and this is how much money you're going to get and this is who you're going to be working with and this is the project you're going to be working on and uh, this is how much time you're going to spend on these different things. Uh, And to have somebody have oversight over all of those different areas of life and even to decide how much money we get. But at the end of the day, once we leave that place of employment, especially going into the weekend, once we leave the job in the weekend, whose time is it? It's our time. And whose money is it? It's our money. The boss may decide, this is how much money you get paid for this. But just imagine you're about to leave on a Friday and the boss calls you in and says, hey, what what are your weekend plans? And you say, oh, we're all going to Disneyland. We're taking the whole family to Disneyland. And the boss says, I'm not sure that's a bad idea. I I think that's a bad idea. I think you need to save the money. I have some investment opportunities for you. I, I, I think it's just a bad idea. No Disneyland this weekend that that would be a very unpleasant conversation that would almost certainly end with you saying, you get to tell me what to do while I'm here, but it's my money, you stay out of it. Now, I think very few of us would like to believe that that's our attitude towards God. But today, we need to take a step back and say, Is that how we think of our money when it comes to God? To God, all right, God, you get my Sunday morning. That's yours. You get it. Um, You you get my decisions about what I do as far as reading the Bible and praying. I'll I'll give that to you. Um, I'll I'll even give you oversight into how I handle my family and my marriage and my kids and and, and different decisions about honesty and integrity. I'll give you all of those things. But when it's my money, when it comes to the money, it's my money and I decide what to do with my money. Or at the very least, the rest of the 90% is my money. I'll give you 10%. Which some of you know, if you've gone here for a while, we don't believe that the New Testament teaches that Christians need to give 10%. We don't think that there's a set amount that we are commanded to give, which whenever I talk about that, there's a lot of people that are super relieved. (laughs) They're just like, that's the best news. I know the gospel means good news. That's the best news you've ever said. I don't have to give 10%. And part of the challenge behind this is that that we tend to say, I don't have to give 10%, then I'll I'll just give. There's no requirement. I'll, I'll give what I feel like giving, and then I'll do what I want with the rest of my money. But as you read through the New Testament, you find that the contrast is not that we say, God gets 10%, we get the rest. It's that God gets say over every area of our lives. 
There's not areas that we hold back to say, you don't get to be involved in this decision. It's not that 10% of our money belongs to God. It's that all of our money belongs to God. It's if Jesus is going to be king of our lives, he's not just king over certain segregated areas of our lives. He is king over everything, including king over our money. Now, now we, we get the opportunity probably at least once a year here at LBF Church, we talk about money or we talk about giving in some way. And chapter six of the Sermon on the Mount has a lot to say about money and some to say about giving, which we're going to talk about today. But I love what Jesus does here because it's very big picture. It's much less about our specific habits with giving and much more about our overall posture towards it. Because in this passage, King Jesus is going to call for a generosity that's much less about the amount and much more about the attitude. Much less than about looking at our checkbooks and saying, exactly how much money did I give? But getting into our attitude about giving and even getting into the why behind the kind of generosity that we practice. I and mean, so let me set up for you how this passage unfolds, because this will play into not just this week, but the three weeks that follow. Because Jesus in verse 1 introduces a subject that carries all the way through verse 18, through verses 1 through 18 of chapter 6. And the whole idea that he's going to talk about is the fact that we have a choice. We have a choice about how we are going to live out our faith before God and before other people. And in verses 2 through 4, he talks about how that plays into giving and our money and our generosity. Then following that, in verses 5 through verse 15, he talks about it in the area of prayer, and we're going to spend two weeks talking about that. And then in verses 16 through 18, he talks about fasting, which is something that we don't do a lot in, in the United States, but the idea of, all right, we, when you're withholding specifically food from yourself from a given period of time. All three of these were common religious activities for the Israelites, and not even for the Israelites, but really for all religions. These show up. There's some form of prayer, of communicating with God. There's some form of giving. That generosity and giving is something that's common through different religions. Um, and even fasting is something that shows up throughout. So he's going to start with verse 1 and say, all right, I'm going to give you the big picture. And then in verses 2 through 4, he's going to talk about the wrong way and the right way of handling our generosity. But we'll start in verse 1, because verse 1 gives us the choice, it gives us the big picture, not only for what we're going to talk about today, but for what we're going to talk about today and the following three weeks. So he's going to say, all right, you, you have a choice before you, and the choice is whose reward you are going to seek. So here's what he says in verse 1 of chapter 6. Be careful not to practice your righteousness in front of others to be seen by them. If you do, you will have no reward from your Father in heaven. So it starts with a warning. I want you to be careful. Be careful not to practice your righteousness before other people to be seen by them. Um, and now, righteousness, it, it's, it's a really big word in Scripture. Sometimes it has to do with, with the, the idea of God giving us the righteousness of Jesus so that we can stand before God. Sometimes it has to do just with the idea of us living out our faith in a way that's upright before God. Here in this context, the way Jesus uses the word seems to be just talking about the idea that there are certain religious activities that we do. That, that's the righteousness he's talking about. He's talking about the fact that we give. He's talking about the fact that we pray. He's talking about the fact that we fast and that there's different other religious activities. So he says, all right, when it comes to the practice of those righteous acts, those religious acts, those things God has called you to do, be careful that you're not practicing them to be seen 
by others. Now, now here's part of the challenge when we get into this. On, on the one hand, so here, chapter 6, verse 1, Jesus is saying, don't do these righteous things to be noticed by others. Back in chapter 5, verse 16, in fact, if you have an open Bible, it's probably on the same page. Back in chapter 5, verse 16, Jesus said, let your light shine before men so that they'll see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. So in chapter 6, Jesus is saying, do these righteous things not so that other people notice. Chapter 5, Jesus is saying, do these righteous things so that people notice. Do these things so that people see your good works. He wants us to be noticed in how we live out our faith. And this is part of the challenge. It's an interesting thing that Jesus does here where on the one hand, he spends all of, really all of chapter 5 in many ways, um, talking about the fact that our religion, that, that our faith in Jesus is something that is not purely private. It's not purely personal. It impacts how we interact with the world around us. It impacts it but because of the fact that we are letting our light shine. We're, we're not hiding our good works under a bowl. We're doing them in public so that people see that our faith impacts our lives. We're loving our enemies. We're, we're practicing purity in the, in the area of sexuality, in the area of anger and violence. Um, we're practicing this in the area of how we keep our promises and uphold our integrity. It, it's a public idea. And in chapter 6, Jesus is getting into the fact that, all right, there's a private part of this also. There's a private aspect to our relationship with God. And the reason there's a private aspect to it isn't because you're doing something that you don't want anybody else to see. It's because you want to make sure you're doing it for the right reason. You want to make sure you're doing it because you want God's reward, not the reward of mankind. And that's why he ends by saying, If you do, if you do practice your righteousness before others for the purpose of being seen by them, you will have no reward from your Father in heaven. In other words, you got a choice. If you're going to do something good, some reward is going to come. You could choose to pursue the reward that you get right now from other people, or you could choose to get the reward that's going to probably come down the road and is going to be from God. Who do you believe is the better rewarder. Now before, oh, I'm glad I wasn't even asking for an answer and you all answered. This is like best service ever. Usually I'm trying to stretch something out of you and I get nothing. So this this is really good. I think I should just pray now and be done. Um, Now now here's where I want to pause and and talk about this, uh, the whole idea of reward. Because for some of you, you might be thinking, now that's, that's not why you should do something. You shouldn't do a good thing for a reward. You should do the good thing because the good thing is a good thing to do. You should obey God and do what God calls you to do because you should obey God and do what God calls you to do. He's God. We are us. That's what we should do. We we should handle it that way. and, and, And to a certain extent, I understand why we would think that, but a foundational way that we interact with God is that there is no way for us to draw near to God without inherently experiencing benefit from that. In fact, right now, if some of you are reading along with the Bible reading plan, um, we're in Hebrews. It's Hebrews 7 today. A few days will be in Hebrews 11, which is the great chapter of faith. And that chapter begins by, by the writer of Hebrews talking about the nature of faith. And he talks about our faith towards God and says, basically, if you're going to approach God, you need to believe two things about him, two foundational things. Number one, you need to believe that he exists. So far, so good. Like, all right, that makes sense. If I'm going to approach God, I need to believe that he exists. He says, they must believe that he exists. And second, that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. 
part of the foundation of even how we approach God is we believe two things. We believe God really is there, and we believe God really does reward those who diligently seek him. This idea that we would say, well, I'm going to seek God, and I'm going to pursue him, and I don't even want a reward. I'm not doing it for a reward. That, that doesn't quite fit. In fact, part of this, and we know this about life, part of living life is that there are certain rewards that are just built into the things that we do. The idea here isn't that we're seeking some random reward that we're saying, well, I'm going to obey God in this area because then I think he's going to make me win the lottery and I'm going to have a whole bunch of money. That, that, that's not the idea here. The idea is that there is reward that comes along, that, that C.S. Lewis in his essay, the, the Weight of Glory, talks about this in the idea that, that the reward is part of the activity. And you know, if you've ever read John Piper, John Piper's favorite analogy, the, the author, um, the, his favorite analogy to give is the analogy of a man giving his wife flowers. And the whole idea of, you know, all right, so, so the man comes home, opens the, you know, the, the door, and the wife says, oh, you've got flowers for me. Why did you bring these flowers? And the man says, I brought these flowers because I just love the look on your face when I give you these flowers. I love how happy it makes you. It makes me feel so happy to make you so happy. And she responds to him by saying, you, 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 you are so selfish. <laughs> you did this whole thing just to make yourself happy. And obviously you would say, well, that's silly. Like nobody would react that way. And we wouldn't look at that man as being deeply selfish because he gets a thrill out of this. In fact, I'm going to do something really bold here. I'm going to speak for all men right now. <laughs> so guys, you can talk to me afterwards about it. But here's what I'm going to, and especially in the, in the realm of marriage, to say, here's what, when we as men do things for our wives, here's what we are after. Here's what. <laughs> it's not going to be what you think. Here, here's what we are after. We, we are after somehow succeeding in the elusive task to make our wives happy. Now, here's the deal. If, if you're a woman, you might think, my gosh, it's not that complicated. <laughs> I, to us, it is incredibly complicated. It's incredibly nebulous and confusing about how this works. So this really is, when I'm talking to different friends and we're talking about how things are going, it's like the most excited either of us will get to be like, I took her out and she really liked it. She really had a great time. And so, oh, I, I got her this gift and she really liked it. It's, it's this big accomplishment that we get so excited. And by the way, if you're a guy and you're like, that, that's not how I'm doing things, I want to gently challenge you to say, God's calling for your life is to interact in that way. Part of God's calling for your life is to say, God has given me this wife, she's a gift from God, and part of my calling is to figure out how I can interact in a way that makes her feel cherished and taken care of and special. As guys, when we succeed in that, that's like the greatest thing ever. It's so exciting. The reward comes along with the task. And part of the reward, and, and this is where you can get into the whole motives question, part of the reward is that the marriage then is much more harmonious and it's much more enjoyable and things go much better. And so you can say, well, you're just doing this so you can have a harmonious, you know, joyful, peaceful life. And I say, well, yeah, I guess kind of. But the reward goes along with it. When Jesus here is talking about the reward, he's not saying, well, you're doing these things so that God will make you win the lottery. He's saying, you're doing these things because you believe that the reward, whatever that will mean, 
Sometimes the reward will be something that God will give you. Maybe he'll give you more opportunities in an area to serve him. Maybe he'll give you just greater joy in your relationship with him. Maybe he'll bless you and maybe he will bless you more financially because you've been generous with what you're given. Maybe it's gonna be some kind of eternal reward that we can't quite get our minds around. Ultimately, at the end of the day, we're saying, all right, if I'm pursuing God, if I'm pursuing what he's told me to do, I believe that the reward that will go along with that will be greater than any reward I can get from anyone else. Jesus says, you have a choice. Whose reward will you seek? And then in verses two through four, he applies this idea specifically to giving, and he tells us the wrong way to do it and then the right way to do it. So he starts with the wrong way. The wrong way to do it is to seek man's reward. It's to seek mankind's reward. And he says, all right, if you want to do that, I've got the key. If you want to get rewarded here and now by other people, the key when you're giving is that you've got to be showy. You got to make sure everyone notices. So he says, so when you give to the needy, and just a quick pause before getting into this. You notice what he said there? Notice what he didn't say? Didn't say if. Say if you decide to give. When? He's just assuming this, this is going on. It's part of your connection to God. You read the entire Old Testament, the entire New Testament. This is a constant that God's people generously give to those in need. Um, And I just, I want to say throughout my, I've been here about seven years now, and at least once a year, we do some kind of message on giving or on generosity um, because it's an important issue to tackle. And there have been times where the message has come at a time where a church has been kind of hurting financially or we're not making budget or we're behind on things. And so there's an appeal that goes along with it to say, we're we're behind, we really need you to give more. I just want to say, it is really, really fun for me today because that's not the case at all. We are in a really, some of you track... Um, because each week we put in the, um, in the bulletin where we're at with our budget. This is actually the last Sunday of our budget year because we go, you know, July 1st to June 30th. Um, we, we appear, I'm, I'm not going to make predictions, we appear to be on track to meet our budget, which is our biggest budget we've ever had, has allowed us to do all kinds of things here at this church, local outreach, global outreach. You have been generous in, in presumably helping us to meet our biggest budget ever. Not only that, A month ago, we had something totally outside of the budget where we got up here on a Sunday and said, we want to raise a bunch of money for the Ilchamus people to help translate the Bible um, into their language. And you gave, in one day, you gave over $15,000 so that we could sponsor that project. Earlier, yeah, go ahead and clap. Earlier in the year, we took an offering for all of our summer go teams, totally separate from the giving that goes into our budget. And you all gave thousands of dollars to help support those go teams. About a year ago, after Hurricane Harvey um, hit Houston, that, that sounds like a Dr. Seuss, that was a lot of H's. Um, <laughs> but, but we spontaneously, Troy set something up where we spontaneously just had an opportunity to give and you raised about $15,000 just in one day to be able to give and support people who are hit by that hurricane. This church is a generous church and I, I want to acknowledge that. I want to compliment you on that. I want to say thank you for that. I believe that that, that this is part of a mark. And and the reason why giving and money is important to talk about at least every year, and again, throughout chapter 6, we're going to talk about it several times because it's something Jesus thinks is important. Um, Part of the reason this is so significant is because money is something that it's very easy for money to be running our lives. It's very easy for money to have a hold of us. And so when we have a church that's giving generously like this, I get excited because to me, that's a sign that Jesus is in charge. 
That's a sign that people are responding and saying, you know what, my money's not mine, I'm gonna freely give. This is a positive thing. So I'm coming to you not saying, we're hurting, you better get out the pocketbooks. I'm saying, we're at a great place and we can thank God for that. And then we can look at our lives and say, what is it that Jesus is calling me to do? Because the primary reason for giving right now is not to say, I gotta help the church get on track. It's to say, what is Jesus calling me to do? So he says, when? Well, all that was just when you give to the needy. Here's how you do it. Do not announce it with trumpets as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and on the streets to be honored by others. Now, some commentators think that that Jesus is speaking of a literal practice because there was some trumpetry involved in the temple practices. Um, From what I've read, most likely that's not what he's talking about. Most likely he's using wild exaggeration here for the idea that somebody walks into the synagogue and has their trumpeters behind them, announcing their appearance. Here I am walking over to the treasury, putting my money in so that everybody can notice. He says, don't give in that way. Don't give in that way as the hypocrites and the Pharisees do. I'm sorry, as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and on the streets because they're doing it to be honored by others. And then Jesus says, truly I tell you, they have received their reward in full. They did it in a way that was showy. Everybody noticed that they did it and they got rewarded. Let's just pause and ask, they got rewarded. What was their reward? The reward is everybody thought, what a great guy. What a great lady. How generous, how godly is he? How godly is she? Everybody noticed it. That was their reward right there. As human beings, there's one of the biggest areas of idolatry that our hearts wrestle with is the area of wanting the applause of mankind. Wanting other people to notice us and give us credit for what we've done. And Jesus says, you can do that. I'll even give you the prescription of how you make it happen. Blow the trumpets, make sure everybody's looking, make sure everybody notices you. You will get rewarded by mankind because they'll all notice you and they'll all honor you. But you will miss out on the reward from your father in heaven. You'll be choosing the now reward instead of the later reward. And while Jesus is applying this just to money right now, and he's going to apply it to prayer and to fasting also, this is a reality for how we live our lives as believers in Jesus, that we constantly have to ask ourselves, do I think the reward now, the immediate reward, is going to be better than God's reward? It's the question we have to face every time we're tempted to sin in some way. I'm going to get some reward. I'm going to get some instant gratification from this sin. Do I want that Or do I want the reward from God that comes along with whatever that reward is going to be with with saying no and abstaining here? What I'm given generously, do I think that what I'm going to get from it right now is better than whatever God is going to give me? And Jesus says, beware, make sure you're not drawing all the attention to yourself so that you miss out on your reward. And this week I was trying to think like, all right, but how might this come into play today? Uh, because we don't have big announcements. We, we usually don't even pass a plate here. We do on occasion when there's a special offering. But for the most part, we say you can give online, you can give in the offering boxes. We, so, so most of our giving is not super public in that way. And so I was trying to think, what might be the traps we would fall into where we would be making sure other people know about our generosity? 
And I didn't get very far in my thinking before I thought, you know what? We've created a way to make sure everybody in our circle finds out about everything we do. Or at least about everything we want them to know about what we do. Through, you know, they used to say if a tree falls in a forest and nobody's there, did the tree really fall? Now, I don't know if you've heard, but they changed the saying. The saying now is if something fun happens and you didn't Instagram about it, did it really happen? I'm just kidding. I just made up that saying. <laughs> but, but, but that is sort of how we live our lives right now. We're thinking, well, I, I'm out here. I got to make sure. I got to make sure this is official. I got to make sure people know about this. Now, that, there's nothing wrong with that. that that's an okay. Well, I shouldn't say there's nothing wrong with that. That's, that's not necessarily a bad thing to do. But just think about the fact there are going to be times that you're doing something and you're doing something in order to be generous. And so maybe, you know, you're, you're pulling off on the side of the road um, to give money to a homeless person. You're, you're serving and you're handing out food at a, at a shelter or at um, a rescue mission or something like that. And in the middle of it, you think, I want to make sure all my friends know how I'm spending my Friday night. I want to make sure they all know while they're out at movies and they're at home kind of goofing around, I'm here doing this generous thing. So just a little picture, here we go. Hashtag just for Jesus. It's the only reason I'm doing it. And now everybody knows what I've done. And what Jesus would say is beware. It's not even that you can't do that. It's not even that it's this deep sin for you to do it. It's, well, all of those likes, all of those comments, all of those attaboy, attagirls that you got, that's your reward. You've got it. You received your reward. I hope you enjoyed it because that's all the reward you're getting. Jesus says, be careful. You don't want to miss out on the reward from the Father. And that's what he gets into in the next part. He says, all right, if you really want to know how to get the reward of man, you got to make sure everybody sees it. You got to be showy. Sometimes you got to add in some false humility to act like you don't really want people to notice. Um, But now he says, I'm going to tell you the key to seeking God's reward. And the key to seeking God's reward is not to be showy. The key to seeking God's reward is to focus on the secret. And all right, there we go. And so now what he talks about in verses three and four, he says, but when you give, when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing so that your giving may be in secret. Then your father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. And just as Jesus did with the trumpets, the trumpets, I I believe this is an exaggeration. Jesus is painting just a big picture of you announcing your giving with trumpets. Here now he's using exaggeration in in the other direction where he's saying, if you're reaching into your pocket and you're pulling out $10 to give it to the homeless person that you met, I don't even want your left hand to know that this is going on. I want this to be so secret that even another part of your body doesn't realize what you're doing right here. It's obviously just silly exaggeration, but he's making the point here, this is meant to be done in secret. If you want the Father's reward, make sure it's done in secret. And in part, you might be saying, but but, but aren't there times times where it seems like it can't be done completely in secret? You know, if you do volunteer to rescue mission, people are going to see you serving at the rescue mission. Um, And if you give to the church, there's going to be some kind of statement that you get back at the end of the year that that there's a recognition of how much you give. And so we're not able to completely give in secret. And even when Jesus is talking about these other things, when he talks about prayer and praying in secret, Jesus prayed in public. Jesus gave in public. Jesus almost certainly fasted at times where everybody knew knew he was fasting because all the Jews were fasting. I don't think what Jesus is getting at here is everything you do for God must be in secret. 
I think what he's getting at is there should be some things that you're doing for God that are in secret. Because if you're only doing these things when other people are able to notice, are you really doing them for God? If the only time you pray is at church or at your small group, what does that say about your connection with God? In a similar way, Jesus is making the point. If the only time you give or are generous is at a time where other people would notice you giving and being generous, what does that say about your connection to God? Some of this should be in secret. There should be times that you give in a way that only God knows that you're giving. And and that's part of the powerful thing that he gets at here. He says, so that your giving may be in secret, then your father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. And I I just, I love the simplicity of this. You're doing something in secret. I promise, I'm going to ask some questions. None of these are trick questions. This is just us looking at the passage right now. You're doing something in secret. Who sees the thing that you did in secret? Yeah, God sees. Who else sees? Yeah, nobody sees. Nobody else sees. That's the implication. It's secret. There's one person who sees it. So because of that, how many potential rewarders do you have for that secret act? You've got one. You've got one potential rewarder. Only God can reward you at that point. And and I want to talk about this in a bigger sense, but I I want to talk about this just also in the sense of Jesus is obviously getting at our motives when he's talking about this idea. So he's getting at the motive and saying, your your motive should be that you're seeking God's reward. I'm not to be noticed by other people. And and some of you might be going down the rabbit trail right now with your motives and thinking of different things that you're doing and saying, well, there are times that I serve here at the church and my motives aren't completely pure. You know, part of it is that I want to serve, but part of it is that I kind of want to be noticed or that that I just like being around other people. And and, and I give the money here. And, you know, and part of it is that I want to be generous, but probably part of it is that I'd be embarrassed if I didn't. And I feel like I should be a part of the church. And there are times when somebody asks me to pray and part of it is that I want to connect with God, but part of it is just that I, I don't want to look like a fool in front of them. So I pray in a way that I look like I know what I'm doing. And so maybe I have big problems because I've got these mixed motives in all these things that I do. And, and I just want to say, I don't think any of us, this side of the new earth, are going to get away from the idea that we do things with mixed motives. If you are paralyzed right now because you're thinking, I don't, know if I, should, I don't know if I should keep serving in children's ministry because part of the reason I'm serving is maybe just for selfish motives that I want people to notice that, that I'm a good servant and that I'm part of the team. I just want to say, I don't think you're ever going to get to the point that you have completely pure motives. Some of you might be mortified by what I'm saying right now. Some of you might be way more spiritual than me. I just want to say, I I can't think of anything that I've ever done, no matter how good it was, that there wasn't at least a part of me that had some mixed selfish motive in it. I mean, this happens, you know, parenting is one of the most sacrificial things that you can do. But just think about this for a minute. If if you are kind of in the thick of it right now with parenting, if you have kids in the home and, and you're in the middle of it, when you are training that kid to pick up after themselves, to learn to dress themselves, to learn to get their own food, to learn to be polite to other people, are you really telling me that there's not at least part of you that says, by doing this, they will bother me less? (laughs) I'm just going to tell you, I, I gave up on that a long time ago. And here's the reason I gave up on it. Because I said, if my kid is doing something that I find this bothersome, I am very biased towards this kid. 
I'm going to bet other people out in the world are going to find it bothersome also. If I want to help this kid, maybe part of the path towards helping this kid is helping them not annoy me. Because if they don't annoy me, they're probably not going to annoy a lot of other people. So there would be different things I'd be doing with my kids. I'd be like, well, am I doing this just because they annoy me? I don't know. I'm just going to do this. This is the right thing to do. This is the right thing to train them in. Here's the point I'm trying to make. Don't paralyze yourself by trying to get the purest of motives. That's not even, powerfully enough, that's not even what Jesus does here. Jesus doesn't say, wait to give until your motives are completely pure. What Jesus says is, pin yourself in so no one else knows. Then, in a way, your motives kind of have to be pure. You don't really have another option. If God is the only one who knows about this, then you can't be doing it to get rewarded by other people. You have pinned yourself in. And this is a big part of not only what Jesus is saying here, but how Jesus talks about money in a general way. General way that Jesus is saying our choices, and in this case, our choices about money, our choices reveal our hearts and our choices also shape our hearts. Jesus in the Gospels makes at least the overall statement, our, our money follows our heart. Whatever we have affection for, whatever's important to us, our money follows that. He says, our money follows our heart. Jesus also says, our heart follows our money. It works both ways. What we do as far as our choices, it reveals our heart, but it also shapes our heart. And Jesus is saying, if you want to make sure that you're seeking God's reward, do things that make it where he's the only one who knows about it then he's the only one who can do something about it. And what Jesus is inviting us to do at the end of the day, it's, it's, it's an act of faith, but it's also, as all acts of faith are, it's a profound wager. It's a bet. He's saying, I want you to bet on the fact that God's reward is going to be far better than anything you could get from other people knowing about these things that you're doing. Um, I, I don't as much anymore, but I used to play a lot of Texas Hold'em. Um, it, it's, it's a poker game, if you don't know. And for some of you that are like, wait a second, um, it's all fine. It's all fine. It was all in fun. It was small amounts of money, um, but it was money. Um, the, but, I, but I love playing. And, and if you've ever played before, you, you'll know the dynamic that I'm about to talk about, that, that there, there are rare occasions where you look at your cards that you have and you look at the cards that are on the table and you realize you have the best possible hand that anybody could have. That there's no way anybody could have a better hand than you. And when that happens, that's a lot of fun. (laughs) You know you are guaranteed to win. You know at the end of the day, you will be bringing home all the chips in the middle. So it gets fun because other people lay a bet and you're like, oh, I don't know, what should I do? And then, you know, of course you call. There's no bet that could be laid down that you wouldn't keep going. Your goal is to figure out how can I bet as much as possible during this hand, because I know I'm winning it in the end. You would never think about holding anything back. You would never think, what about a future hand? What if I lose? You are not going to lose. You have the best hand. Here's what Jesus is saying to us. He's saying, you have the best rewarder. You have the one who rewards unlike anything else. You will never, in the end, You will never say, I wish I would have got more credit from people because God's reward just isn't measuring up. You have the best rewarder. And so what do you do when you have the best hand? You bet as much as you possibly can. You just keep going with it. 
keep saying, well, he's the best rewarder. I'm going to give him more chances to reward me. I'm going to trust him more. I'm going to make sure there are more things that are going on that nobody else knows about, that just he knows about. I'm going to be generous with my money. I'm going to be generous with my words. I'm going to do things that other people wouldn't even know about because I want God's reward because I know that if I'm seeking his reward, I'm getting the best possible reward. And again, I'm not going to pretend to track down all of the ways that God will reward you. It may be simply with joy overflowing from your heart. It may be with new opportunities and new privileges of how you're going to serve him and follow him because you've been faithful with the things you've been given. It may be that he gives you some material blessing in some way. It may be that there's great rewards in heaven that we can't even fathom right now that are going to outpace anything we would imagine. What we've got is the greatest rewarder. And what Jesus says is, bet on him, wager on him, be as generous as you can, not so that you get the pittance of a reward from other people, but so that you get the riches of the reward from the God who not only exists, but is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. Let's go ahead and pray together. Father, thank you that you give us the opportunity to serve you, and to be generous. And that the opportunity that you give us is that we don't have to do those things simply through slavish obedience, that we can do those things through joy. We can do those things by anticipating that you're not only gonna do great work in other people's lives through our generosity, but that you're going to bring great reward into our lives. That there will be no step of faith that we take that will go unrewarded or will go regretted in the end. Thank you for your grace. We thank you for your mercy. We thank you that we can call you our Father in heaven because Jesus died to bring us into the family. And if you would send Jesus, we believe that there's nothing good that you would hold back from us. Give us the courage, the faith, the compassion to give and to give in a way that we're seeking your reward, not simply the applause of other people. We pray this in the name of our Savior, Jesus. Amen. Amen.